Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, Lord, we give you thanks for all that you reveal to us through your son, Jesus, as he experiences temptation on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you strengthen us in our battles, knowing that he has won the victory for us now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, we started with our next round of First Communion classes for uh, students in grades uh, four through six, and typically before class starts, we have lunch together, and so uh, while everyone was eating, I asked who had seen the Super Bowl, and everyone was pretty excited about it, you know, some of the kids shared who they uh, thought the winner was, or they were excited and happy who won the game and all those things, but uh, I noticed that one girl had put her hand kind of halfway up when I asked who had seen the game. And so I asked her, I said, you know, you're not sure that you saw the game? You're kind of doing a half thing there? What's going on? And she said, well, I only watched the halftime show, so I'm not really sure if that counts. And it kind of made me realize that, uh, you know, there are three different groups of people that we categorize when it comes to watching the Super Bowl. You have people who care about the game and, and the teams and all that stuff. You have people who watch the halftime show because it's the Super Bowl halftime show. And then you have the group of people who watch the Super Bowl because of the commercials. And I kind of fall into one of those three categories, but I think we all fall into that commercial category. In fact, uh, for the last few years now, we've watched the Super Bowl with my in-laws. And uh, you can say whatever you want during the game. During the commercials, silence, okay? Got to be locked into what's going on. And uh, there was actually uh, one commercial in particular this year that I was very interested in seeing. Um, and to be uh, honest with you, and you may be surprised by this, it had nothing to do with Chick-fil-A or chocolate chip cookies. So I'm branching out, okay? Uh, this commercial was actually put on by a group of people or a movement, as they call themselves, on uh, their website. He gets us. And uh, there, uh, maybe you've heard about it, maybe you haven't. There's been a lot of commentary going around, both positive and negative. And I don't really want to talk about the commercial or anything like that, but just there's just those three words that he gets us. Because if nothing else, one of the things that's happened as a result of this commercial is uh, some really interesting conversations. And the he that they're referring to is Jesus. So as if to say, Jesus gets us. And so apart from the commercial or anything else, those three words are extremely powerful, particularly for us as followers of Jesus, right? As followers of Jesus, those are a core belief of Christianity that Jesus gets us. In fact, whether you realize it or not, every week we kind of confess that. We, we say that we believe that Jesus gets us when we say the words of the apostles or the Nicene Creed. Right? We say that God is, Jesus is fully God and yet born of the Virgin Mary and came down to earth and lived a fully human life. So as Jesus is fully God and fully man, we're saying that Jesus gets us. He lived a fully human life. He understands everything that we go through. Jesus gets us. And as I was reading through uh, this text from Matthew's gospel, I couldn't help but see how those words really begin to come to life for us, particularly as Jesus experiences something that you and I go through each and every day, the battle against temptation. And as the text begins to open up, we're told that Jesus is being led away into the wilderness by uh, the Spirit, and he is going to be tempted at the hands of the devil. Now, this comes in the Gospel of Matthew on the heels of just uh, Jesus having been baptized. So he was baptized, now he's led away, he fasts for 40 days, and it's time to be tempted by the devil. Now, I don't know about you, 
40 days is an extremely long time. I typically go about eight hours before I really need to eat every once in a while, right? It's pretty important. And so Jesus goes 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything. And so, of course, the devil's first temptation is rather obvious, right? He starts off with the the simple thing. He says, take these stones and turn them into bread, knowing Jesus needs to eat. Right? But Jesus resists that temptation, and so the devil moves on. He, he keeps on going, this time kind of raising the stakes, so to speak. And he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the holy temple. And he tells Jesus, throw yourself down. Right? Uh, throw yourself off the temple and show us just how powerful you really are. Or how powerful God is, because you say that you're the son of God. And, and in scripture it says that the son of God will not uh, hit his foot on even one stone, that the angels will catch him. So go ahead, show us your power. Right? And of course, again, Jesus resists the devil. So the devil kind of goes for it all with his final temptation. He moves forward. He says, okay, food wasn't going to do the trick. And clearly you don't care about showing off your power, but maybe you would like to have power. Right? So he takes Jesus to the top of perhaps a place in the world that we've never even imagined before. A place where you can see all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him, if you bow down to me, I will give you control. I will give you everything that you see amongst these kingdoms. And interestingly enough, there are two things going on here, two things that uh, come as a result of this temptation. See, first, if Jesus gave in there, he would be admitting that the devil is currently in control over those kingdoms. And along with that, then, Jesus would also be perhaps confirming the devil's uh, idea that Jesus is in pursuit of some greater power, that he bows down so that he has control. But once again, Jesus resists that temptation, turns away and sends the devil away this time, and then the angels appear around Jesus. So right here in the midst of three different temptations, those words really come to life for us. We see that Jesus gets us. He fully understands what it's like to face temptation. And in this case, he faces it at a time where his body, physically speaking, was really not at its strongest, right? Scripture even says that he was famished. We all know that our bodies need food and water and nourishment in order to feel strong just in general. And not only that, on the flip side of that perhaps, physical wellness impacts the other parts of our bodies. It impacts our emotional wellness, our spiritual, our mental wellness, right? Studies have even shown that uh, when people are hungry, uh, they are less likely to stay focused on a task and less likely to complete that task to the best of their abilities. In fact, there's a commercial about this kind of thing. It's the commercial that says, you're not you when you're hungry. Grab a Snickers. Right, and then somebody eats the Snickers and all of a sudden they go back to normal. But let's be honest then, even at our full strength, when we're completely nourished and feeling good, the reality is we cannot stand against temptation. So just imagine how much worse it is when we are not feeling our best. And the devil knows that. The devil knows what it takes to tempt us. He knows the things that perhaps we tell ourselves or the things that we want, right? And so he plays on the things. He picks them as if we fall into that temptation, then we will suddenly somehow be satisfied. And the devil uses that against us. He puts all these temptations around us more and more and more. Just look back at how he first brought sin into the world through Adam and Eve. 
Or if you go back to the story in Genesis, the devil kind of goes on this question and he asks Eve, well, what did God tell you? And she says, well, you don't eat from this tree because you will die. And the devil says to her, you won't die. You'll just have knowledge of good and of evil. What the devil's doing here is he's playing on Eve's desire, her satisfaction to live. And so instead he says, you're not going to die. You will still be alive. I'm just not going to tell you how much worse everything is going to be if you eat from this tree. And you and I are still experiencing the result of Adam and Eve taking that first bite, of them falling into the devil's temptation. And so Jesus knows how the devil uses temptation against us, how he uses it to make us believe that we are weak and how we can't resist it. Jesus gets us, right? And yet, if that's all you take away from this story, you're missing out on what is the best part. You're missing out on what Jesus is really doing here. See, because it's not only that Jesus gets us, we see that in the midst of understanding this, this idea, this reality of temptation, Jesus is teaching us. And more specifically, he's teaching us how to stand against temptation. When we are facing temptation, what should we do? What can we do? We look back at Jesus, right? And we see his response to the devil's temptations are all based in the word of God. Jesus goes right back to the word. He shows us there's power in God's word. He quotes the Old Testament at three different times. The first temptation, he says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And then in the second one, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 16. And in the third one, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. So what Jesus is doing here is, is really teaching us two things. Number one, that there is power in the word of God. That the word of God stands against the devil and temptation and all of those evil things. And alongside that, he's fulfilling other passages of scripture, right? In, in, including parts in the Old and New Testament. Jesus fulfills parts of Paul's word here to the people in Ephesians. When Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is writing about putting on the full armor of God. In verse 17, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the first thing Jesus teaches us here is that the word of God is powerful. It stands against the devil. And secondly, Jesus teaches us that if we want to have any hope against resisting temptation, we need to be in pursuit of a constantly filled, constantly growing relationship with God. It's Jesus' knowledge of the word that invites him back to God. It's how Jesus speaks the word against the temptations that the devil has put before him. And this is a fitting lesson for all of us, particularly during this season of Lent, where we spend six weeks talking about our brokenness, our, our inability to stand against temptation. And we see this in so many ways throughout our services, in our prayers, in our confessions, and the things that we sing, right? In so many ways, we hear these words that, that we are broken and, and we are in need of, of something. And Jesus says, go back to God's word, right? We're invited to deepen our relationship with God so that we can experience the mercy of his grace and of his love. And so our response, our turning back to God, is about our relationship with him. We respond, we turn back to God out of faith, right? We have faith in God to do these things, and so we turn back. 
And so these two teachings from Jesus, they work hand in hand to, to show us the power that is found in the word and how that word results in resisting temptation and how we can grow in our love for God. So we have two very powerful truths right here in the midst of this story. Number one is Jesus gets us. And number two, then, is that Jesus teaches us. And both of these are a powerful reminder of how Jesus works in our lives and how we can resist the devil and temptation and how we are always invited to turn back to God. And these are things that we can be thankful for. And yet, once again, if that's the only thing that we see Jesus doing here, we're missing out on the best part. We're missing out on the most important thing that Jesus does. Because the truth is, well, it's great that he gets us and that he understands what we're going through, and it's powerful and inspiring that he teaches us how to fight against temptation. Those two things, whether together or on their own, are simply not enough. It's not enough that, that Jesus gets us, and it's not enough that, that he teaches us. Uh, and what I mean by that is we need something more. Right, Because if you just say that, well, Jesus gets us so that he teaches us, then you're kind of just saying Jesus is like a really good friend who is really wise, has lots of wisdom, shares that wisdom with us, and he has really good morals too. Now, on the one hand, it's good to have those people in our lives. I think we could probably all use more of them, and the world certainly could as well. But the reality is at some point, that person is going to fail you. The, the things that they're sharing with you, that if the only thing they're doing is telling you perhaps how to live a good life and maybe just saying, well, I understand you, they're leaving you still feeling in need of something more. They're, they're eventually going to fail you, and their ideas perhaps aren't going to seem as good, and you're going to wonder whether you can trust them or not, and maybe you'll start listening to other people instead. And so while, while it's great that Jesus gets us and he understands and he provides guidance for us, the truth is if that's all we're getting from Jesus, we're missing out on the best part. We're missing out on the thing that Jesus has come to do for us, on, on why he gets us, on why he teaches us. We're missing out at, at what's at the heart of the gospel, the truth, the good news that changes our lives. And that good news is delivered in three simple words. Jesus saves us. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of this story in Matthew and at the heart of all of Scripture that Jesus saves us. But what is he saving us from? He's saving us from sin, death, and the devil. In overcoming temptation here in Matthew's gospel, it's one of the clearest and easiest ways for us to see that Jesus saves us. Because he overcomes temptation in the midst of the devil. And it foreshadows the battle that comes at the end of Lent. It foreshadows the ultimate battle against sin, death, and the devil. In which, once again, Jesus wins. In that battle, that battle that is fought on the cross, Jesus saves us. And so, when we see the cross, we see the mission of Jesus being fulfilled. When we look at the cross, we see our need to be saved. When we look at the cross, we see that Jesus saves us. And so when we read Scripture, and we go through every experience in life, knowing that promise, knowing that Jesus saves us, it transforms everything about our lives. It even transforms how we understand this story. right? Because if we see and understand and believe that Jesus saves us, we then get to see that how what he's teaching us is about our salvation. 
Jesus points us back to God's word so that we are constantly reminded of God's love for us, that he loves us so much that he saves us. We're constantly turned back to the word to grow in that relationship, to be reminded of the mercy, of the grace, of the love that God has for us. That no matter how many times we fall into sin or to temptation, that God calls us back. That he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to save us from the thing that we cannot overcome on our own. Jesus saves us. And through that, he teaches us and points us back to this salvation. And through that teaching, we see so clearly why he gets us. See, Jesus gets us because he knows what we need. When, when someone comes to you and, and someone tells you that I understand you, and perhaps they share a word of hope or a word of promise or they do something for you, perhaps you've looked at them and you said, I needed that. That is a moment of great hope, of great peace. That is what Jesus does for me and for you. He comes to give us the things that we need, not only from salvation, but at all moments and in every part of our lives. When you're feeling anxious or stressed out, Jesus comes to speak a word of peace into your life. And when you're, when you're grieving and you're sad, Jesus comes to speak a word of comfort into your life. And when uh, you're feeling the, the depth of despair, Jesus comes to speak words of hope and to give you strength to carry on. And when you're feeling the weight of your sin, when you're feeling the weight of all your guilt and of all your shame, Jesus comes to speak words of promise to you once again. He says, I love you. I forgive you. I died for you, and I will save you. That is good news. That is the gospel for me and for you. Church, as we walk through uh, this Lenten journey, as we spend these next six weeks hearing about how broken we are and how much in need we are as we fall into sin and to temptation, we hear those words from Jesus over and over again. Your sin has no power over you. You can turn back to Jesus because he has overcome all sin, all temptation, sin, death, and the devil for me and for you. And he has the power to save you. And there is no power like the power of Jesus. There is no power like the name of Jesus. That is the power that saves you now and forever. Remember, because he saves you, he gets you. Amen? Amen.